We're going to begin in Malachi chapter 1. I'm calling this sermon, Learning to Honor God Again. We have been taught over the last 30 years how to dishonor God and expect Him to like it. So I want to begin in the book of Malachi because I'm going to address this bratty, rebellious behavior that comes from the biggest ministries in the land, not all of them, but some of them. And it has matriculated down to the little guy out in the country church somewhere that thinks if he's going to honor God, he has to do it like the bigwig, who he probably doesn't know is a womanizer, a carouser, and a drunk. Amen. I think pastors on a regular basis ought to have to testify about the strength of their children at home. Just like our president gives a state of the ministry address and gives us an update on what the excuse me, State of the Union Address, we call it here the State of the Ministry Address. Our president gives a State of the Union Address and annually tells us how our nation's doing. I think maybe pastors ought to stand up and say, Church, you see our kids, you judge us. I've never seen that done ever. It wouldn't be a bad thing to do. Even the bishop must be, his children be free from accusation. If your kids aren't free from accusation, you better live the gospel a little tighter at home. We understand there's a permission for kids, in a sense, to be kids, and they got to be disciplined. Uh, but especially in those teenage years, that's when kids begin to recognize mom and dad aren't what they claim to be. Anyway, Malachi chapter 1. After these first two verses, we're going to look at everything in the New Living Translation because it reads a little smoother. We'll put that on our overhead. Malachi is the prophet of restoration, or one of the prophets of restoration, and the whole theme of Malachi is honor. And God is not happy with his priests. His priests are basically the Old Testament equivalent of the preachers because they're leading worship. They're disseminating the word. He's not happy with the priests because the priests have lost honor for the things of God, though they go through the motions and they're doing their, their priestly responsibilities every day. They're going through the motions. There's just no honor there. The whole theme of Malachi is restoring honor. We have the temple reinstituted. We have the priesthood reinstituted. But we're missing this necessary ingredient of honor. So I'll begin in verse 6 out of the King James. The, the Lord, actually this may be New Living Translation. The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priest, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, we can insert the word preacher, you priests that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? In that you offer polluted bread upon my altar. We'd call that compromised, unbiblical in technique and quality worship. Compromised worship compromised leadership. And you say, where have we polluted thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse 7 in the New Living Translation says, you defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. This is the plague of the American church propagated by the preachers. Not every preacher, but a lot. So much that we now, if we're Americans or we're in America and we visited churches, we know the vibe of today's church. We know what the average church is going to be like, don't we? It's going to have dark setting. It's going to have purple lights. It's going to have a worship team that looks like the world, dresses like the world, 
sings a little like the world. It's going to have a very short, amended message that isn't full of any meat or challenge, but nothing but pop psychology and self-exaltation. We know what to expect out of the church today. It has invaded every denomination, not all churches in every denomination, but you can just about even go to a Catholic church and find the disco ministry. Nightclub church is what I call it. And the Lord says this to the preachers. You say the altar of the Lord deserves no respect, and yet these priests and preachers, these priests were still going to the altar every day. They were still wearing the robes every day. They were still sacrificing every day, but they were doing everything without a respect for God. From the beginning of this prophecy, God invokes three allegories to his people. That's there in the text. We just miss it. He relates to his people as father. He says, if I'm a father, where's my honor? He refers to himself and relates as the master, the slave owner. He says, if I'm your master, where's my respect? Where's my fear? But he starts off by saying, thus says the general of heaven's armies. And that's how he refers to himself the rest of the book. Thus says the Lord of hosts. We'd say the general of God's armies. Not thus says the Lord your shepherd, the Lord your healer, the Lord your peace, the Lord your helper, the Lord your supply. He doesn't invoke those names. He, he invokes military because there's a problem at hand and he wants to straighten it out. One thing our military, even around the world, they understand honor, protocol, and respect. And when you look at the American church today, you don't see any of that. You don't see honor. You don't see protocol. You don't see respect. You see sloppy. You see carnal. You see secular. You see lazy, frumpy, dumpy. You don't see anything that's venerated, venerable, or fearful. You see, you see this thing that looks more like a coffee bar. You see this thing that reminds you more of a nightclub. If you were to turn down or plug your ears and you go to these services, you're not sure if you're at a concert followed by a TED Talk. Because the house of God doesn't even look like the house of God anymore. And it's all on purpose. All three positions, father, master, and general, demand respect, honor, submission, and obedience. There's no buddy Jesus swooning over derelict people in Malachi. Malachi is addressed to the priests, the leaders of God's people, and God is not pleased with any of them. Our God is not only worthy of respect and reverence and fear and honor, he requires it of us. And if you don't give it him, you're not his people. So here's our problem. We have preachers and pastors teaching God's people how to disrespect God and to bring him down from above and make him their equal. And the psalmist reminds us that it is God that has made us and not we ourselves. And I know there was a real popular song 20 years ago that says, I'm the friend of God, but so was Judas. Jesus called Judas friend. I don't want Jesus to call me friend. I want him to be able to say, have you considered now my servant? That's the highest honor God could ever give you is for you to be recognized as his servant. Many Christians don't even live for God. They live for themselves. 
they're barely his child. They'll never know what it means to be his servant. It is the preacher's job to teach God's people how to approach God. It's our job to communicate what God's reverence looks like, what God's fear looks like, how we worship God, how we approach Him. It's our job to teach you that. And yet, preachers over the last 25 and 30 years, they pioneered a new way, a new gospel, all under the guise of reaching people. We've even coined a new term to justify it called becoming attractional. Every time I see God move in the Bible, he isn't so much attractional as he is earth-shaking. He showed up on Mount Zion, Horeb, and he was not attractive. He was terrifying. And even Moses said, this terrifies me, but I must go anyway. We have so emasculated, so mocked, so diminished, so stripped down Jesus The Jesus that is now preached in our nation is not the Jesus of the Bible. He's something altogether. He's not far from becoming the Jesus of the Mormons. And just like if you'd ask the the Jews in the days of Aaron, who do you serve? They said, we serve Elohim. Except Elohim to them was a cow made of gold. And you ask a lot of Christians today, are you a Christian? Do you love Jesus? Yes, except it's not the same Jesus totally different gospel altogether. And Paul said, if I or an angel, anybody else coming unto you, preach another gospel, let him be amputated from the body of Christ. It's a day we live in. We all knew a great falling away was coming. We just never knew it would be hosted in the local megachurch. We never expected the great falling away to be led by the Pied Pipers of the priesthood. We didn't expect it. We didn't expect the the falling away to be taught instructionally from the pulpit. We thought people would just walk away. No, no. The falling away is taking place in church, and they're staying in church. Preachers must teach God's people how to approach their God, but this requires the preacher to know God, to revere God, to respect God, to fear God, and to honor God first and foremost. Your discipleship can only produce what you already are. Now, I've learned this as a pastor. This church is only as successful as my mediocre Christian. My success as a preacher is the average believer in here. We're only as strong as what the average believer in here is capable of doing. That's the fruit of my discipleship. So apply that standard to megachurches, seeker churches, user churches, market-driven churches. What do you think their average believer does? Are they disciples? Could they lead a prayer service? Could they host a Bible study? Could they pray with somebody to get spirit-filled? Could they cast a demon out? You know, all those gospel commission items. We have successfully turned our church into entertainment. This is another industry now. It's no longer the church. The church is all about entertainment. It's all about the experience. These reprobate churches even have countdown clocks on their website, 24 hours until the next experience, like it's an IMAX event and a concert to boot. 
You know why they want an experience? Because they're allergic to service. We don't come to church to experience entertainment. We come to serve God. And in serving God, we're in His presence. The theme of Malachi is honor. God was being worshipped. Sacrifices were being offered. Priests were going through the motions. And people were in attendance. But it was all for naught because it lacked the required ingredient of honor. And you can't disobey God and claim with your mouth you honor Him because you don't. Obedience is how we measure success. Whether we pastor five people or 5,000, if we're not obedient, there's no honor. If you're not obedient in private, you're dishonorable. What's the last thing God told you to cut off? And what's your excuse for being a reprobate, disobedient child of God? Honor is what makes our songs worship. Honor turns our songs to worship. Most of the nightclub vibe coming out of churches is no worship. It's entertainment driven by prideful, fornicating, tattooing, piercing, gauging, wine-bibbing, pot-smoking hippies who couldn't find the book of Malachi if you turn there for them. Worship leaders ought to know the Bible better than anybody but the preacher. Instead, all they know is TikTok dancing, piercing tattoos, and trendy vibes on Instagram. That's all they know. They don't know God. If David or Jehoshaphat were to put modern worship leaders out front when they went to go fight the battle, it'd be a bloodbath. <laughs> honor is what makes our money an offering. Without honor, it's just money in a bucket. Honor is what makes our works fruitful. Honor is what makes our oration a sermon. Without honor, it's all just works. God rebuked Israel for their lack of respect for him, and it was manifested in how they viewed their Sabbath day and its activities. I cannot escape this sense that the modern church is successfully teaching God's people how to dishonor the Sabbath. And by that, we just mean the holy day we worship our God on. For us, it's Sunday. The Bible is very clear throughout the Old Testament. The Sabbath is holy. There's one day a week we treat different than any other day. I know our modern culture has us working seven days a week, and I don't diminish if you've got to go to the factory, but we're still here when you can make it. And we're not going to dumb down our standard because your boss makes you work on a Saturday or a Sunday. I get it. But for those that hold the fire going and the altar fire is burning, we treat the Sabbath different than every other day of the week. And even if you've got to get off third shift on the Sabbath and come in in your uniform and maybe change your dirty, dirty boots, you're going to come in here and it's going to be different than everywhere you've been all week. What we're facing in this nation is a modern church movement that seeks to make the Sabbath more common, more profane, more low than any other thing you do all week, and then have the audacity to expect Christ to show up and bless it. Verse 8, we can start to throw these up here now on the overhead. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? 
try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The prophet Malachi wasn't busy prophesying, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready for your prosperity, get ready for your blessing. He was busy cursing the priesthood, calling them to repentance because real prophets, not those jokers on Christian TV, always missing it with the next political election. Real prophets have a voice that call God's people back to repentance. And here this prophet is telling the whole priesthood, you guys are hypocrites and you honor your governor more than you do your God. Giving God less than our very best is clearly wrong and it will never be accepted by him. Giving your God less than your very best will never be accepted by him. Honor gives God its very best. And all of us have a different best. In our singing ability, God knows we got a range of talent. In our finances, the Lord knows we're different socioeconomically. In our ability to communicate, we're all different. In our ability to dress, we all have a different quality of clothing from the farmer who has overalls to the lawyer who has a wardrobe full of three-piece suits. But we are commanded of God to give him our very best. Honoring the world better than we honor our God is wrong and will be judged by God for it. It is a disgrace for a preacher to honor a funeral more than his Sunday morning service. I have seen preachers take their pulpit on a Sunday morning with their shirt untucked, with dock shoes, fat belly hanging out, looking as casual as if they just came from a picnic, luau, and then go to the same preacher, watch him do a funeral in his church, and discover he does have a three-piece suit. And him honor the mediocre dead guy the lukewarm Christian, more than he'd honor the resurrected Savior when he preached his gospel in his pulpit on a Sunday morning. There's something wrong when you have a wardrobe to honor God and you choose to dress down like you're going to Walmart. And then you have the audacity to wear the suit for the funeral. Wear the suit to meet the politician. We're being taught to dishonor God from the pulpit But God said, I'll honor those that honor me, and I'll despise those that despise me. It is a disgrace for a preacher to honor his daughter's wedding more than his Sunday morning service. It's a disgrace. All right, Mr. Hawaiian shirt preacher, is that what you're going to give your daughter away in at her wedding? Oh, no, that's a special occasion. Well, well, you wore a suit to the funeral, but you won't wear a suit on the Sunday morning. Oh, no, no, that's a, that's a special occasion. To bury a carcass? It's a disgrace for a preacher to honor the politician more than the king of kings. To prepare more to meet a politician than to deliver the gospel. To dress up better to go meet with the legislator or the judge, or the mayor, to dress up better for them than you would the house of God. And everybody's dress is different. 
So I don't care if you wear overalls. I don't care if you wear flip-flops. Let it be your best. It's a disgrace for a worship leader to honor a date night more than a Sunday morning worship service. And you see it. You see them dress up nicer for their date than they do for their worship set. We're letting all these secular terms come into the kingdom. And when you use secular terms, you draw secular demons. And by the way, the same applies for the rest of us. It's a disgrace when we honor the world more than we honor the house of God. I don't care how you dress. Just let it be your best. And as you serve God, your best gets better. Verse 9, the prophet says, Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asks the Lord of heaven's armies. I, I added this, I inserted this. When you bring that kind of worship and dishonor, why should he show you any favor at all? Go ahead, beg God for mercy. But when you honor the politician and the date night and the funeral and the wedding more than you honor your God, why should he give you favor or mercy? This is called a prophet of restoration. He's trying to restore what has been lost. Many of you are older than me. You, you remember when there was a time we honored the house of God. We honored the parking lot of the house of God. They wouldn't do drugs in our parking lot. They wouldn't get drunk. We wouldn't pick up condoms in our parking lot. Even the pagan honored the house of God. Now it's the church kids having sex in the parking lot. Not ours, but we have had it in the past. One of the flagships of the seeker-friendly movement, their church was so corrupt that after their Sunday services... They had to pay a contractor to come sweep up all the drug paraphernalia from their church parking lots, needles and booze. Because that's the fruit of seeker-friendlyism. It's not deliverance. It's not power. God doesn't show up when you don't honor him. We remember a time when we dress up for church. We had our best Sunday go-to-church clothes. It was even a term. We dressed up in our best Sunday go-to-church clothes. Because we honored the house of God. We honored the man of God. Now, again, a lot of our Pentecostal perverts have really ruined it for the rest of us, embezzling money and sleeping with prostitutes and whores. But we had respect for the man of God, the reverend, the parson. Yeah, we didn't care what denomination. They lived for God's people, so you gave them respect. Now you can't even tell a preacher. He looks like the 14-year-old trying to keep up with the fans of TikTok. Something wrong when you're 50 years old, you're fat, you wear skinny jeans and your shirt's untucked and you jiggle in the middle. The Bible calls men of God fierce men of valor. I don't see that in the American preacher. I see a bunch of fat, sweaty preachers. No fruit of self-control. Just jiggling on the way to the platform. Breathing heavy before they even open their Bible. Honor opens the door for God's mercy. Honor opens the door for God's favor. It is no wonder the enemy has aimed, convinced, and succeeded at teaching the church to dishonor God, dishonor his house, dishonor his worship, dishonor his leaders, and dishonor his gospel, all the while convincing us that God should be pleased with us. 1 Samuel 2 says, 
It revealed that God honors those who honor him and God despises those who despise him. To believe that we can come to the house of God, a house that has become a house of dishonor and expect God to show up and bless us is raw deception. Jesus warned that Christians can be deceived. So for a preacher to think, well, no, I couldn't possibly be that deceived. You're already that deceived. If you think you can't be deceived, you're there. And the enemy's smart. He doesn't boil the frog instantly. One degree at a time. One degree miscalculated at a time. One degree of compromise at a time. One degree of compromise at a time because the ends justify the means. If I dial back tongues, I can get visitors to stay on Sunday morning. Well, tongues is God. And if you're not interested in God, then this is not the church for you because we try to get him here as much as we can. Well, you know, if we don't pray so long or if we don't preach so hard, if you don't want hard preaching, you don't want Jesus. He told people everywhere he went, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. Hell, 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 hell. He questioned his own disciples' allegiance over and over again. He looked at his closest men and said, how long must I put up with you? Am I wasting my time with you guys? You can't handle hard preaching. You don't want God. No, you want psychology. Jesus declared in Matthew 24, I'll just read this to you. He answered and said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they shall deceive many. Jesus told the apostles of the Lamb, It's possible for you to be deceived. People will come in my name, and they will deceive many. The deception is coming from the pulpits. People coming in the name of Jesus saying, I am Christ, or that is, I am anointed. Those are the ones deceiving many. How can they deceive many? They have many that look to them. The weirdo standing on the corner with a sign that says, turn or burn, is not deceiving anybody. The Jezebel with the Facebook ministry ain't really touching hardly anybody. It's the big voices that have turned many aside from Christ. Verse 11 of Matthew 24, he says, Many false prophets shall arise. That also means they're real ones. So we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But the false ones arise, many, and shall deceive many. And verse 24, There shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it's possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I told you this before. So one of the Lord's common themes are, are there's going to be a lot of false prophets preachers, false anointed ones, and they will succeed in deceiving many. So we're living in that time. The deception is now at a stage where we dishonor God. Romans 10 forbids us from bringing him down from above and making him our equal. From this point forward, we go up to him. We go up to him. We go up to him. He came down once. He was like us once. From this point forward, we must be like him. And when your worship team looks like a bunch of pot-smoking fornicators, you've not become Christ-like. And when your church has the nightclub vibe, you're not Christ-like. And when you got fornication on staff, you're far from Christ-like. And if that's what's on the leadership, what's in the pews? What's in the chairs? 
When the church and its leaders have been deceived, their weekly services will discuss God. When God is disgusted, he will refuse to inhabit his house. And if he doesn't inhabit his house, his people won't be changed. When his house, excuse me, when he exits his house, the power to change that city or region is diminished, though the people can continue to present themselves and go through the motions. Verse 10 of Malachi 1. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could, be not, could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. This is where dishonor begins to get you. Shut the church down. Turn the worship off. I don't even want your money because none of it comes with honor for me. God is telling the priest, I wish one of you would just lock the doors to the temple. The smell disgusts me. Dishonorable worship begs to be shut down. God desires to shut those churches down unless repentance comes. What does God desire? Verse 11. But my name is honored by people from other nations. I call that the little church. The little no-name guy out in the country who has 20 people, but they pray and they fear God. My name is honored from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great or honored among the nations, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He keeps reminding them, I'm not your shepherd right now. I am not your peace right now. I'm not your provider right now. I'm not your healer right now. I'm your commanding officer. So fix it. Every verse, he says, the Lord of heaven's armies, the master, the general. He's purposely invoking the side of him that they need to fear and respect. God desires honor, sweet incense, sweet worship, pure motives, pure offerings. For the Jew, this rebuke was an insult. It meant that the Gentiles loved God more than them. It meant God had moved away from them to bless others. It meant Israel didn't have the corner market on Yahweh anymore. Verse 12, but you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. We might say worship. You are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. Verse 13, you say it's too hard to serve God. And you turn your noses at my commands says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asks the Lord. I hear this today. The gospel standard's too hard. The preaching's too hard. You're expecting too much out of the people. If those would study their own Bible and quit buying sermons offline and letting Marxist woke apostates do their research for them, they could see they're facing the problem God has always dealt with in his people. It's too hard. You expect too much. You want too much out of us. But you better be there to bless me when I call on Jesus. God does not honor sin, rebellion, fornication, perversion, or compromise. He will not inhabit you, your church, your praises, or your people. He'll resist you. 
Peter tells us he'll turn his back on you. But he'll never leave me nor forsake you. But he'll turn his back on you. Close his ears to you. It's been said for many decades now, God has visited every church and he still attends some. God's preachers have learned to dishonor God. They have taught God's people, their congregation, to dishonor God the same. They have permitted dishonorable doctrine, dishonorable protocol, dishonorable worship, dishonorable standards, and dishonorable attitudes. They have taught as worship and service the very thing God rejects, and by doing so, have rendered the ministries almost completely devoid of God. And yet, they're still going through the motions. They have no idea they've lost God. And the devil has no problem with people going to these churches because they'll get nothing out of it but deception and false security. We must honor God in all that we have and with all that we do. His house is the highest house in the land. Why has the American preacher made it the shack of low standards? Our ushers look like fat slobs, smell like cigarettes and sex, booze, dumpy. Won't eat the, I don't care if you're fat, just tuck your shirt in. Present honorably. This is a house of God. It's not a common house. It's not a common God. Who taught you to present for God less than you do your boss? When Joe at Jiffy Lube wears a suit called a, a, a uniform to change my oil. When Billy Bob at the dealership wears a uniform to change my tires. Why does the deacon dress like he's going to a barbecue? When waiters and waitresses go to Steak and Shake, they wear bow ties and a paper hat and an apron to serve you 50s diner burgers. And our preachers are disgusting, slobs, dishonorable, disrespectful, full of youthful lust, 55-year-old men trying to be cool. I can see the Apostle Paul looking at some of our bigwigs saying, you're an abomination to my God. Youthful lust, chasing social media fads, trying to be cool. The kids don't think we're cool when we're 45 and 55 trying to dress like a 17-year-old TikTok influencer. What are you going to do next? Get that little left queer earring, a little feather dangling from your left ear? Is that what you're going to do, preacher? Going to get like a one of those little pink stripes in your hair that declares I'm a victim of sexual assault? Where do we draw the line? The man of God ought to look different, smell different, act different, carry himself different. The book of Exodus talks about a holy robe made out of special fabric, woven a special way. And the Jews taught, based on the Hebrew, that the priesthood was that robe. And when he put that robe on, he was the priest. And he couldn't even drink alcohol in that robe lest he die. That robe, the way he carried himself, made him different. And we've got a bunch of insecure, 
emotionally immature middle-aged preachers trying to be cool and accepted. And they want their church to be an Instagram influencer and a nightclub-esque vibe of a ministry. And all I can say is grow up and fear your God. Isaiah 2.2 says this, It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, not in the low swamp. Shall be exalted above all the hills, not equal to them. The house of God ought to be the highest place we go all week. The cleanest place, the highest standard, the most protocol, the sweetest smell, the tightest discipline. It ought to be an oasis away from this armpit called the Upper Cumberland. It should not reflect it. It should reflect heaven. The entire kingdom is a calling that is upward. And we've somehow managed in the modern church to make our church down in some gutter holler somewhere next to a dump in a nightclub by the adult bookstore next to the the liquor store. And, And we want God to inhabit that. How do you deliver people when your church is filthy? How do you deliver people when your staff is filthy? How do you deliver people when your worship team is sleeping around? How do you deliver people when your worship leader just got another tattoo on their wrist or their neck or their face? Wearing tighter pants and shorter skirts. How do you deliver people when that's what you promote as acceptable? Philippians 3.14 in the New English Translation says, With this goal in mind, I strive towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's an upward call that gets you out of where you were. It's not a downward call. It sure isn't a call to be like the world. It sure isn't a call to dial back our standard. Our Lord Christ has such a high standard, we'll never obtain it. But we try. We keep marching towards that upward calling that we might obtain him and the power of his resurrection. God's house is an upward calling, yet the modern preacher has made everything about it the lowest standard of the week. Modern churches have become the cheapest experience of the week. Cost you nothing. Now with 17 campuses, one for your convenience. Doesn't even cost you a commute. No, no, you don't have to move if God's called to do our church. No, no, we'd never expect any sacrifice out of you. We have a satellite campus with a jumbotron right around the corner from you. And we have a campus pastor, which really just picks up sheep droppings because they don't really pastor that flock. I call them campus janitors. I don't think they thought that's what they'd be doing when they went to seminary or Bible school. They're just a campus janitor picking up sheep droppings, of which there's a lot because there's no real pastoring going on at the jumboplex. Modern church has made church the shortest time requirement of our week. We got churches that brag in and out in an hour. You'll even sit longer than that to get into your favorite restaurant on a Friday night. You hypocrite. 
and you're fat as it is. You don't need those calories. Go and chase it all down with a Diet Coke. You'll sit with an hour for an hour with a buzzer to go consume 4,000 calories, but God help you if that pastor goes over the one-hour mark. You're going to hell, and you're going to burn and drip off that griddle. <laughs> Modern church has made church the least formal experience of our week. Oh, no, no, no. Just, no, don't even bother. Don't even bo Just get out of bed. Just get, put your favorite bunnies. We're just happy to have you. If you're here, I'm going to make something out of you. Amen. Try that with your boss. Try that with the Walmart. We're mocking God in the name of pragmatism to try to get as many people in our churches as possible. To do what with them? There's no God there anymore. You get them here, there's no God to change them. Get them to the hospital where there's no medicine left. All in the name of becoming attractional. Their knowledge of their sin and the imminence of eternal damnation ought to make your church as attractional as it needs to be. When your leg is broken and the bone is sticking out, you don't care what they do to you in the emergency room. Just get me there. My pain makes everything that looks like help very attractional, which, by the way, is a retarded, made-up word that you got to go pay some moron to teach you at some self-church growth seminar. And any church that uses it, you tell off on how compromised your doctrine has become. We've made the local church the lightest expectation of our week. No demand, no accountability. Just come as you are and stay here. You know what? We're going to put a big old buffet in the foyer because you know the Lord has prepared a table for you. The presence of your enemies. You're right. That church is my enemy. And there's the buffet to prove it. Huh. They're becoming the enemy of the cross. Smallest requirement of our week. Just give us an hour of your time. Just an hour. Dear saint, you're not a saint. Dear ain't, just an hour of, just an hour of your time. Pad my numbers. Pad my ego. Give me five bucks. We have gleefully defiled God's Sabbath in an attempt to reach people. That's called pragmatism. Pragmatism means the end justifies the means. What a pragmatic preacher says in their heart is, it doesn't matter how far I have fallen from the faith of my fathers, my church is packed. Therefore, God must be pleased. We have forgotten the great commandment, love God. Love God first. People are number two on the list, not number one. When you love God, loving people or your love for people won't mock your God. God is love, but not all love is God. Just like not all Jesus is are the Christ of our salvation. Amen. Ezekiel twenty two twenty six, New Living Translation. We're going to look at this one. I want to read this to you. This is a common theme in the prophets, the major prophets. Your priests, preachers, have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. 
They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonial clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored among them. This is the plague of the modern church. The average American Christian now, by default, has more honor for everything else in their week than their God, their God's house, and their God's holy day. Is is that so? You have more honor for your boss, your job, your sports team, more honor for your funeral, your wedding, more honor for your ladies' night out. You have more honor for your weekend. You have more honor... uh, for anything else you can name. But when we come to church, we've been taught for the last 30 years, God requires nothing of us. Just come. And it's apostasy. It's heresy. They have disregarded and dishonored my Sabbath. This is a day different from every other day. We ought to treat it different we expect God to show up different. Ezekiel 22, 26 is not a formula to gain God's God's presence. It's a formula to gather people. When you don't instruct God's people, when you defile holy things, when you make no distinction between what is holy and what is not, when you refuse to teach God's people the difference between what is clean and unclean, that's how you gather people. That's just real clear. Homosexuality, sin. Fornication, sin. Boozing it up, sin. Drugs, sin. Pornography, sin. Making out with your boyfriend or girlfriend, sin. Gossip, slander, sin. Tattoos, sin. Cussing, sin. Dirty jokes, sin. We didn't have to use to explain this. This was common sense. But I was just describing popular preachers. The big ones on television, not all of them, probably at least half of them. And I was describing every major popular worship team. We are now about 30 years into the seeker-friendly movement. I should call it an experiment. It was led by a heretic named Rick Warren, whose book, Purpose Driven Life, has been proven to be full of new age doctrine, which he admits to implanting on purpose. When you call yourself a Christian, but you implant new age heresy into the body of Christ surreptitiously, that makes you a heretic. When you admit to it, you're an admitted heretic. Furthermore, Rick Warren has signed on to the combination of all world religions and the doctrine espoused by the UN to bring all religions together. He is not a servant of Christ, He teaches another Christ. It was also experimented upon by a pervert named Bill Hybels. Now, this is all common knowledge, and I don't mind to name names. My heart is clear. Bill Hybels was proven to be a sexual deviant, having affairs and behaving sexually inappropriately with his staff and random women going all the way back to the 80s. And yet these two men are the fathers of the seeker-friendly movement. Their discipler was not a holy man of God, but an agnostic Jew named Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker was a systems management guru, 
And he taught these two as well as the third man named Bob Buford. He had a non-church ministry. He's dead. He taught these three how to market the church to the, quote, non-customer. I'm telling you how we got to where we are today so we can figure out how to reverse this dumpster fire. He taught them how to get people who aren't interested in God to come to God, but without needing God's help to do so, because he's an agnostic Jew and doesn't have God. So why would these three preachers in the late 70s, early 80s, sit at the feet of an agnostic Jew who was a communitarianist, which is more like a communist than anything politically speaking, who wanted one world government? Why would they sit at his feet? Because he promised to teach them how to grow their church. So listen to the discipler of Bill Hybels, the pervert, and Rick Warren, the heretic. The customer is always right, boys. And if you don't have enough customers, go ask the non-customers what they want, then give it to them. And that is the birth of the seeker-friendly movement. How to be friendly to those who claim they seek God. The secret to church growth, as it turns out, is to give the pagan what the pagan wants because the pagan is always right. Warren taught his purpose-driven church disciples to poll their communities and ask their communities why they don't attend church, then compile those answers and then start your church based on the fickle, carnal whims of pagans and backslidden Christians. That was the purpose-driven church method. Well documented. I have a couple friends that did that. They told me as much. And I thought, I think my IQ is dropping just listening to you talk. I feel like I owe Jesus Christ an apology for being friends with you. Do you not see this as subtle Christ denial? You're asking pagans how to steer your church? You're asking fickle, backslidden Christians how to steer your church? My God, you're his man. Get with your God and get his plan. And if all he ever does is give you a 20-member church, be blessed. Let your church's foundation and mission statement be rooted in carnality, offense, and immaturity rather than in an apostolic mandate and gospel commission. The brilliant wickedness behind this is that there will always be a genuine complaint. Well, I was abused once, or there was embezzlement, or, or, or they judged me because I wore overalls. This does not give us permission to overhaul the church and allow the children to run the home. All right, so daddy spanked you too hard yesterday. Let daddy repent, but he still has to spank you. How about what did you do to get the spanking? So let's apply this seeker-friendly wisdom that James calls sensual devilish and not descending from above. Let's apply it to a new hospital. We're wanting to start a new hospital because you know there's not enough of them in town. Do you mind telling us, I'm the pollster, trying to figure out how I want to launch my new church, excuse me, hospital. What don't you like about hospitals? Why won't you go? Oh, okay, well, yeah. Well, I don't like needles. 
Don't like surgery. Don't like CAT scans. I'm claustrophobic. Don't like male nurses. They're intimidating. Don't like invasive physicals. Aren't most of them? If you got a hole, they're sticking something in it. That's how you tell what's going on on the inside unless you go back into that PET scan tube or CAT scan tube. I don't like those backless robes. It's real breezy back there. I don't like morphine limits. There should be limitless morphine on tap. I don't like bad news. Well, after much market research, we are proud to launch Moron Medical Center. Where our friends pay nothing to have nothing looked at and nothing done to them because no one should ever have to be uncomfortable ever. That's how we launched 30 years of churches. God have mercy. Let's apply this to a new private school. We're praying about starting a new private Christian school in our community. Little Johnny, do you mind telling us what you don't like about going to school? Yes, I don't like tests. I don't like grades. Don't like PE. I don't like teachers. I don't like reading. I don't even like going. Oh, thank you for your input. It's been so vital in helping us start and build our mission statement and formulate our plan. So after much market research, we're happy to announce that this fall, we will be launching the hippie utopic co-op of self-awareness. <laughs> where your precious princess can discover themselves, grunt, throw rocks, and poop in a bucket. <laughs> and this is how our denominations and Word of Faith and Charismatics have launched churches for the last 30 years. You want to know why our churches lost 30% of their people through COVID? Because they weren't saved to begin with. They weren't discipled to begin with. And those that stuck around, only probably half of them know Christ. Because when Judas, when, when they all leave, only Judas, the one with the demon, sticks around. When they were all offended at Christ over his message of communion and eating my flesh and drinking my blood, they all left. And the one with the demons stuck around Christ a little longer. So you lost 30, 40% of your church through COVID because it wasn't much of a congregation to begin with. And those that you got left behind, they're still, some of them are still demonic plants who will continue to work and root out your increase. What did thousands of pastors do they ask the sinner how to start their church. And they obeyed the sinner. Because pragmatism says whatever it takes to get them in the house of God. How about good old-fashioned prayer and door-to-door evangelism? How about you just listen to the words of your Savior? And if he be lifted up, he will draw. Go invite, go compel, but he'll draw. The result is the watered-down, lukewarm, shallow, ignorant church of today that finds one-hour prayer services alien, 
door-to-door evangelism mythological, hard sermons unconscionable, and church discipline heresy. How can you tell if your American church has been infected by these dishonorable practices? Did COVID shrink your church by 5%? By 20%? If COVID shrank your church by 30 or 40%, you better believe you're infected with this dishonorable heresy. We measure success by obedience, by holy doctrine, by allegiant leadership, by an organized church, by strongly consecrated disciples. We do not measure success by nickels and noses, butts, bucks, and buildings. We measure success by obedience. Malachi 2, next chapter there. Here's the call to repentance. Malachi chapter 2, verse 1. Listen, you preachers, this command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you. God will curse his preachers. I will curse even the blessing you've received. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants and splatter your faces with the manure from your festival sacrifices, and I will throw you on the manure pile. All that fancy food you ate and gave to me as an offering, you're going to defecate it out. I'm going to scoop it up and rub it on your face, and then I'm going to throw you in the hole of the outhouse. That's what I think of your worship, your praise, your, your organization, your ministries, and your programs. Then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning so that my covenant with the Levites can continue, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Not an ounce of buddy Jesus to be found anywhere. We must restore honor to the house of God. We must repent of seeker-friendly, market-driven gimmicks. We must return to the high standard of God's word. And recognize just because you go to church doesn't mean you're making heaven. But if you'll come to church and let me make a disciple out of you, you'll greatly increase your opportunity to make heaven. Amen. Amen.